we studied today is found in the 10th chapter of Mark. We will be studying the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 10. I invite you to turn there with me. We'll read that in just a few moments. Today we study a passage of Jesus, a teaching of Jesus about divorce, which is a painful topic for many of us who have lived with its effects in various ways. When we stop and think about those in our lives, maybe we ourselves who have been part of the breakdown of a marriage, it brings up strong feelings and difficult memories. To have people start out being so full of love that they want to commit their whole lives to another person, only to find themselves later in a place they never thought was possible, is a surreal experience. Most people never imagine something so beautiful could end so badly. Or that they themselves would be sunk in the mire of despair and anger and regret. Made all the worse by legal maneuvering, custody battles, family drama, and changing friendships. Most people, of course, don't go into marriage intending to ever separate. There are circumstances which sometimes make it nearly impossible to stay together, what we call the four A's, abuse, adultery, abandonment, and addiction. And although these issues can be healed and God can mend the impossible, once trust has been broken in such a manner, one or the other spouse sometimes doesn't want to move forward. They may decide to call it quits because of betrayal, or because they don't want to end the behavior that brought them there. For Christians, divorce is just as painful as it is for everyone else. And because it is spoken against in scripture, as we see by Jesus today, there is an aspect of shame that is carried even after the proceedings have long since ended. This is because the church in various times and places has spoken about divorce as if it is something from which there is no coming back from. A failure so awful, a sin that God will not forgive. But divorce is a wrench in a way of those who have made a covenant before God and witnesses to stay together no matter what. To love someone deeply, to build a life, to promise to cherish and protect, and then no longer to be living that reality means part of oneself is missing. And the majority of those who are in the middle of divorce feel it acutely. And so extra judgment added on doesn't help. But where should the church be in all of this? Full disclosure, I do not come to this topic unbiased. My parents had a bitter divorce born out of addiction, infidelity, and a complex relationship over 25 years by two people who had separated a few times only to come back together but in the end, it all became too much. This tore apart the fabric of our family, but the divorce was not the main cause of our problems. They split up because of their sin and their pain, which they could not or would not deal with any longer. The church they were deeply ingrained in told them, above all else, no matter what you do, do not get a divorce. And this directive, which may have been the standard answer of most faith communities in 1970, had the effect of not really offering sound, practical, or biblical counsel, but communicating how wrong they were. 
for decades after the divorce, my father still received giving envelopes from the church as a couple. Sadly, this then became a wall in his walk with God, which had once been vibrant as a door because no grace was offered. Jesus' words today do not offer a complete teaching on divorce because he is addressing certain questions being asked of him in a specific cultural context. But there are ideas here for today's church to face and think about as we live in the truth and the mercy of God. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 10, 1 through 12. He left that place and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds once again gathered around him. And as was his custom, he again taught them. Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let us pray. Oh, Father, your word is living and you are here with us. And so we ask God that you would show us what it is that you have to say to your people in this time. Amen. As we know, marriages in the first century were not usually love matches between two people. They were based on agreements between families, based on property, social status, and mutually beneficial arrangements that created stability for both. Because of this, divorce could be complicated. And the thinking in the Jewish community came mostly from Deuteronomy 24, where it said a divorce could be granted if there was a problem related to indecency, which was widely interpreted depending on which teaching you followed. The more strict viewpoint allowed for divorce only for adultery. In the more liberal school of thought, which was more prevalent, a man could divorce his wife for any reason he found indecent. Because she made a bad meal, because she spoke to a strange man, she was too loud, I would be gone. (laughs) He found her less attractive than someone else, or really for any grounds that the husband wanted. By law, women did not have legal status or rights because she was the property of the male head of the house. Only the husband had the right to divorce. If a woman wanted to be free of the marriage, she had to ask her husband to divorce her. What Jesus is trying to communicate here is that what is lawful is not always what is best or intended. What should be considered before human interpretation of the law is what God himself wants. So we're going to look at the two questions Jesus answers in this passage. And in these words from the Lord, we want to be careful not to be black and white with them, either disregarding Jesus's words because they sound too harsh or holding on to them as an ironclad rule. They are meant to uphold the importance of marriage itself, not to be prescriptive for every situation. 
So first the Pharisees come and test him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Notice how they frame the question already to their advantage from their position of power as males. It's not obvious how they're hoping to trap him, although if he contradicts the law or answers in a way that leans one side or another, they think they might have him pinned. This reminds me of a nominee who is going before Congress for the Supreme Court. They are grilled in how it is that they are going to judge. How are they going to rule on cases? What they think about legal precedents which have been set in the past, and especially what they think about hot-button topics. Very important to those asking the questions. Divorce is one of those issues here, and Jesus is being treated as an adversary, as they almost treat him like he, believe, he believes that he's a nominee for some post he is hoping to have. They want to get him to say something contrary in public so they can get a win over him. It takes a lot of courage to face opposition like this, and Jesus shows us how to do it, taking questions head on and focusing in on the real issue. Jesus redirects the line of questioning to what is more helpful for them to consider. He asks, what did Moses command you? He takes it out of the hypothetical by making them think about what, them, what they themselves know from Scripture. What is it that they have seen? What is it that they are practicing? What have they been taught? The answer they give comes from Deuteronomy 24. And maybe they're hoping to hear his interpretation of it. But Jesus indicates they're asking the wrong question. He doesn't want to argue the law. He wants to point them to God's design. Often when we come to places of theological debate about what is or what is not sin, sometimes we're trying to figure out what exactly can I get away with. There's a little bit of a sense of that here. Jesus wants them to think about who God has made them to be and the purpose he has for the spiritual union of marriage. Jesus tells them that Moses only allowed divorce because of hearts that were unrelenting and hard. One thing I read this week is that here we see God's intention and Moses' concession for the people. But we can't focus in on what Moses allowed to be the standard. We have to think of the law here as being the exception to what is meant by the Almighty. To have a life of lifelong faithfulness between a man and a woman. And Jesus takes it back to Genesis to show the sanctity of marriage. He quotes how two people come together to make one flesh. And how it's God's intention for them to never separate. Then, as often is the case today, a divorce becomes an injustice against one of the spouses, usually the woman. To send a wife away for no good reason was not moral. To cause her to be cast out with no resources or dependent upon another marriage was not God's will. You see, the Pharisees neglect to mention that the certificate of divorce has to be physically given to the woman. So she can authenticate her divorce in order to marry again, which mostly she's going to have to do. And the law was meant to protect the woman as the first husband can't try to come back and take her back as if she has no decree. Here, Jesus is emphasizing equality by saying God made man and woman and they are equally joined together as one in him. Jesus is speaking against male dominance in this passage, which treated women as property. He is giving a new ideal that women are equal with men in the sight of God. 
You will recognize words from the marriage ceremony here. What God has brought together, let no one separate. The bonds of marriage with God at the center is one that cannot be broken by human regulation. Jesus is saying the issue is not the commands of Moses, but what God wants. He does not condemn the law, but he makes clear that it's not the ideal. See, Jesus brings it back always to the heart. When we harden our hearts and we ask for laws or permission to go along with how we want to live our lives, it may not reflect God's will, and it causes grief in our primary relationships. This is the main problem and why Jesus is trying to explain to the teachers why their question is not the correct one. Because marriage is the foundation for society, and God often uses it as a metaphor for the covenant between he and his people. As those who proclaim Christ, we have to look to the principles God has given, seeking him for what he wants. The second query comes from the disciples, which Jesus answers in verses 10 through 12. We don't know exactly what the disciples asked, but the response is strong. Whoever divorces their spouse and remarries commits adultery. Jesus is reaffirming with the disciples that people who use the laws of divorce and marriage as a loophole for adultery will be seen by God. Just because an action is legal in the eyes of the government doesn't make it moral in the eyes of God. This, again, is emphasizing the condition of the heart before the Lord who has shown us how to live. But let's remember the larger context. A few months ago, we talked about what was happening with Herod. You see, what Jesus is speaking about is exactly what the Jewish ruler Herod did. Herod divorced his wife so he could marry Herodias, who also had left her husband. And John the Baptist told them it was wrong more than once. Because of the truth they did not want to hear, they murdered John. And it may well be that the Pharisees are posing the question, so Jesus will take a stand in the matter, with the hope that it will cause problems with he and Herod. Publicly, Jesus is not going to wade into the mess. But privately, this teaching is the exact same that John prophetically spoke. Getting married to a person one leaves their spouse for does not nullify the wrongness of the original action. Spouses are not something we can dispose of, so we can have another one that we want more. Jesus is making a statement here on loose sexual morals that we can try to attempt to cover up with the respectability of marriage. God's design for marriage is to learn how to become more like Christ in our relationships, that we love one another as Christ has loved the church. That we give up our selfish desires when they conflict with the vows that we have made. This is true for men and women. And Jesus is again affirming how they are equal before him. Each of us is accountable to the Lord for our motivations and our heart and our attitudes, our thought life, our actions, our sexuality, and what we have committed unto him. This is a call to holiness. Jesus is serious here about marriage. This relationship, as God ordains, becomes part of who we are. As such, these are words of warning to those who view marriage as temporary or merely a convenience. His words here are meant as a reminder of how important God takes the matrimonial vows made solemnly before him. One of the issues around divorce, however, in the church is how these words have often come to mean that God will not forgive. 
There is a verse in Malachi which is quoted about how God hates divorce. His hatred of it is not for divorce itself, though. It is for what it does to us and to the families who are created from the union of two people. In his love, God wants to shield us from the pain that naturally comes when a marriage falls apart. The commandments are for us to live by because this is God's best for us. The command to love each other more than we love ourselves is part of what it means to be made in his image. For those who have remarried after a divorce, even those who may have left their spouse for another, Jesus' words are not meant to forever brand them as an adulterer. Jesus' words are meant to remind us of the seriousness of marriage. But remember that a broken and contrite heart will not be turned away from the Lord. Jesus brought the kingdom to those who would repent, who would bring their brokenness to the foot of the cross. There is nothing that is beyond the scope of God's forgiveness. So where should the church be in all of this? We should be helping young people prepare for marriage, reminding them what joy there is, but also what a serious commitment it is before God. We should be giving them tools for how to relate to one another in healthy ways, showing them how the Lord is the center, how he is always in the middle of their relationship. We should be coming alongside those who are married, encouraging them in multiple ways, celebrating milestones like anniversaries, inviting them to mentor younger couples, being available to walk with them through the difficulties and painful seasons because they will come. We should prayerfully ask for wisdom for those who are contemplating divorce, offering to listen to those who struggle, not pretending that we know what is best or what they should do, praying for the Lord to intervene with his miraculous healing and sacrificial love. We should not take sides. We should love both parties. We should keep our lines clear by not gossiping, by not slandering either person. Christ's people should weep We should weep with those who are mourning the loss of a marriage because it feels like a death. And we should offer grace to those who have fallen short of God's glory in this area, trusting that he is the authority in their lives, that he is their king. The church should bring counsel and restoration for those who want to remarry. Asking if they're totally healed from what has happened in their past as they move forward in the future. The church should surround children who are the true victims of divorce. The church should be part of their extended family who is always there for them no matter what. May the church reflect the fullness of God poured out on his people All of us sinners attempting to live for the glory of he who made us. He is always with us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.